Hello and welcome to the Mirrorbox Films Podcast. We are a movie production company and an online community built around genre films that reflect humanity. I'm Hudson Phillips. I'm a writer and producer and founder of uh, Mirrorbox Films. And I am Sonia May, writer, editor, and director of content marketing for Mirrorbox Films. Hey, Sonia. How's it going? Well, hey, you know, just dandy. So today we are, uh, we've got a new study up uh, episode for you guys. This is where our good pals, Alex Oakley and Monica Beard go out once a month and explore some new area of creativity and report back. So this week they're going to walk us through a deep dive of the history of horror films (laughs) and and how they adapt to uh, societal fears. So yeah, here is Alex and Monica. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode of the Study Up podcast from MirrorboxFilms.com. I am Alex Oakley. And I'm Monica Beard. And we are giving this a second go because we just recorded 10 minutes of unusable audio. (laughs) We're also devastated. But it's okay. If we sound a little teary, that's because It's because we're about to talk about the exact same thing for 10 minutes. But that's okay. Because we overcome and we adapt, Monica. We adapt, We you adapt, say? I say. <laughs> well, we... that's so funny because the theme for May, for Mirabox, is adaptation. Oh, well, crazy. Whoa. It almost sounds like I did that on purpose. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. Um, today, we have a really fun topic for you. Yeah, I think fun. we do anyway. It's pretty cool. Uh, we are going to be plagiarizing the last ever paper I wrote for college because Monica and I have graduated. Yeah, maybe you saw that post on Mirrorbox. Yeah, it was real plucky, nice. <laughs> your plucky podcasting duo has recently graduated, so we're real adults now. We're real live adults. I kind of. I'm still More looking for less. a job. Please hire me. We're sort of. <laughs> anyway. Uh, ooh. Proto-adults. Proto-adults. But today, we are going to be talking specifically about a particular genre of film. And that is the horror movie. Ah! Ah! Oh. Because. Oh, I get it. It's. Because you. And it, it's a. It's a horror. Yeah, horror. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yes, today we're going to be talking about horror films, specifically how they have changed and adapted over the past almost 90 years. We are coming up on the, we are coming up on a hundred years of horror films. Wow. Uh, It's crazy, isn't it? That is crazy. Yeah. So, uh, we are going to be talking about how horror films represent who's making them, when they're making them, and why they're making them. Yeah. Oh, but first, what we should do, um, if you listen to our podcast um that is our own it's called shot for shot anytime that we delve into a topic uh like a new franchise if we Mm -hmm. review a movie from a new franchise or if we're just talking about a topic um a particular topic in you know specifically we like to establish a baseline Mm -hmm. where we tell you guys kind of our interactions with things and what we know to begin with before we get into 
the meat of it. So, yeah, let's talk about our relationship with horror movies. Yeah, you go first. Okay, okay. Well, I'll start off with my favorite horror movie. Uh, My favorite horror movie is The Conjuring. Um, Partially... A classic. A classic, a classic. Partially because I love uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. I think they're really interesting characters. Um, But also, the particularly the constant motif of the... For those of you who have seen it, the clapping game. I love that. I think that's really interesting and really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a big fan of like, you know, OG slasher fic, like the slasher films like yeah. Jason and Freddy and all that. And totally. um, Alien. Uh, I love oh, the Alien. OG Alien. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah, great. I, you know, really Scott did real good with that one. Um, <laughs> My, or pal Scott. <laughs> good old, good old, good, good old Scott. Scott. Uh, but yeah, so I'm a big fan of horror movies. Um, it's definitely a more recent development that I've really started watching a lot of them, though. Um, yeah. Horror movies were not something I sought out probably until maybe sophomore or junior year of high school. Sure. Um, well, for me, I was never much of a fan of horror movies. I've seen a few, quite a few. Um, I like thrillers a lot more, which is a pretty fine line there, and some mm-hmm. of them you can argue one way or another. Um, but I think, like, one of my favorites is The Ring. Mm, yeah, another classic. Really, yeah, I really, really love that one. I love The Conjuring. Um, I think the funniest horror movie ever made is Annabelle. Oh. <laughs> it's so funny. I have so many problems It's hilarious. With it's so great. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I really, I would consider myself as someone who dabbles in horror. Okay. I hate slashers, though. I, ah. I don't, I'm not a fan of gore. What? So. what? What's wrong with senseless violence? It it's icky. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, the history of horror movies and what they looked like way back when, and then more importantly, what they look like now and what that means for us. Mm. So um, we are going to delve in Strap to in, uh, uh, the history of horror movies. Monica, let's take a little trip. Let's a take trip, a trip down memory lane to memory lane. Uh, memory lane to what do you say? Let's go back to the uh, to the early 1930s, huh? I do remember the early yeah. 1930s. Yeah, so do I. I was there. Yeah, I was definitely there. And by that I mean I read The Great Gatsby. <laughs> This may be an awkward time to mention this, but me and Alex are immortal, so... Yeah, uh, we have actually <laughs> been, been alive for... Oh gosh, I've lost track. I mean, how old are you again? I don't Aren't know. Are you in the 700s? I, I absolutely for sure remember when the Black Plague happened. Oh, the Black Plague was That was nasty, a bummer. Dude. Yeah, Yikes. should have finished the job. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, no. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're taking a step back in time. We're going to the 1930s, the early 20th century. Because, Monica, what would you say if I told you that Freddy Krueger, Jason... Michael Myers, The Monsters of the Conjuring, Hellraiser, all of these have their cultural origins that can be traced back to one single catalyst. Well, obviously the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Exactly! (laughs) (laughs) What else could possibly lead to the development of all of those myriad of horror movies i just off the you know i just guessed <laughs> of course and now it seems obvious now that i said it out loud 
<laughs> now, audience, I can hear you through the computer monitor in the future. <laughs> in the future asking me, but Alex, how in the world did you write a paper about Archduke Franz Ferdinand directly contributing to the development of horror movies? And I'm so glad you asked that very tactfully worded question, because I'm going to tell you. What specific wording you have? Yeah, good job, guys. Uh, yeah, so... For those of you who are not necessarily uh, familiar with Archduke Franz Ferdinand, and I don't mean the band, I do mean the um, member of Austro-Hungarian royalty, uh, the assassination of this Austro-Hungarian noble, the heir to the throne of the empire by a Serbian nationalist named Gabriel Princip, uh, was actually the first in a series of events that cascaded into World War One. Basically, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Serbia's allies were like, "Hey, no," and declared war on Austria-Hungary, and then Belgium was like, hey, no, and then declared war on Serbia and its allies, and then France got involved somehow, so Germany, like, walked through Belgium, I think. I might be confusing wars. I might even <laughs> skip some steps. All that you need to know is that World War I happened, and that Germany was on the losing side, because that's where things get interesting. Germany was forced into World War I by their leader at the time, a shrimpy tiny little man named Kaiser Wilhelm II, who was a punk-ass bitch. Uh, <laughs> that's what they call him in the history community. And so after he lost, he did what any self-respecting leader would do and abdicated. He was just like, yeet, the monarchy is no more. And so Germany was like, oh no. And so they set up a republic. And that lasted for all of... Um, like a decade or two and then this guy who just was like really mad that he didn't go to art school and also an awful racist and also just terrible uh <laughs> started anti-semitism <laughs> oh yeah 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 he started this thing called the national socialist party or what it can be shortened to nazi the german words for it anyway mm. and uh then world war ii happened but we're not gonna go that far no, no, no. we're just gonna talk about world war one and so uh the the weimar republic as it was called which mm. was the immediate german republic post-world war one was a place of weird goings on it was uh like economically kind of prosperous at least for the cultural centers um the, mm -hmm. the rural areas did not no. suffer or did suffer a bit but the urban areas actually experienced an explosion of literature and art and creativity which led to major uh, leaps forward in cinematic storytelling which, of course, had not really evolved that much yet because, uh, for those of you up on your film history, uh, movies had not been around for very long. No. So uh, we see in Weimar Germany a lot of films come out that are a brand new kind of film that we've never really seen before, uh, some of which scholars call the first horror films. Ooh. Ooh. So I'm going to talk about one in particular. There are a couple famous ones. Um, one you guys may have heard of is uh, Nosferatu, uh, which is widely attributed as the first ever vampire movie. Um, you can actually watch the whole thing on YouTube if you want. Interesting. Um, you can also watch uh, the other movie I'm going to talk about, which is called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Now, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari uh, is special for a variety of reasons. It's one of the first uh, films filmed on sets constructed on sound stages, which mm -hmm. is really cool. So the world takes on this unnatural, angular appearance. Uh, and it was is... Was that intentional to make the world seem oh, kind of off-kilter? It was very unsettling. It was intentionally very designed cool. to make the audience uncomfortable. Uh, which... I think it's interesting. A lot of movies do that in a very subconscious way, mm -hmm. either with the music or how the sets are, even you know costumes, makeup. There's a lot of subtle ways to make an audience feel uncomfortable that you mm -hmm. know you wouldn't necessarily that isn't 
a chainsaw slicing <laughs> someone's head off. I will not take this slight against slasher films, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, just a quick overview of the plot, is about a mad hypnotist who hypnotizes a sleepwalker into committing murders. Uh, unwillingly and unwittingly. He doesn't even realize he's doing it until it's far too late. Now, here is something very, very interesting. If you break down the plot of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and look at Germany's course through World War I, Mm -hmm. they line up, which is strange. Germany... Realized they were in a hypnotized state and didn't realize what they were doing. They were whipped into a nationalist frenzy by their leader, Kaiser Wilhelm II, and pushed into this uh, conflict. For background on German culture, please read <laughs> The Rites of Spring. Yeah, uh, The Rites of Spring is a great book about uh, World War One and the Weimar Republic. It is. It's not an easy phenomenal. read, but it is a very, very oh, fascinating. So, one. I loved it. I loved it. But that's besides the point. So, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is this plot that lines up uh, weirdly distinctly with um, Germany's entrance into World War One, and that kind of sets the precedent that I want to talk about today, which is that. Horror movies are a reflection of the fears and anxieties of the culture that produces them. Hmm. That's a thesis if I've ever heard one, buddy. Yeah. It didn't take long for horror movies to travel across the pond to um, America either and start coming out of Hollywood. And so what I kind of want to do is just look at, you know, horror movies as they've come out and kind of think, okay, well, what was going on at the time that right. might lead to What's this? reflection? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so... I'd, like Frankenstein. Like Frankenstein. Frankenstein is a really, really great example of uh, fear surrounding sort of the broader concept of science. Right. Um, of, you know, what is too far, the ethics mm-hmm. of science, fear man, about those kind of things. Man trying to be God through mm-hmm. science. Yeah. And so sometimes they are about like those really really broad things, and other times they're about much more uh, much more uh, cultural things. So like for instance, the slasher films that you're not so fond of, uh, who is always punished very very beginning of these movies? What are the teens doing that gets them murdered? <gasps> they're having sex. Oh. So there we go. At the beginning of ev- almost every single one of these movies, you see two teenagers engaging in premarital and therefore immoral sex and Uh-oh. then getting murdered very bloodily by some kind of nightmare monster. So it's And then a woman gets slashed in her bra. Yeah. You know, it definitely does this have This isn't a- <laughs> our feminist reading episode though. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. But you're you're absolutely right is that even even the horror movies that espouse one thing or another can definitely also then contradict themselves because hmm. I, I do want to say I'm not saying that all of these are overt. I am definitely not saying that George A. Romero was thinking about man's abject fear of the abstract concept of death when right. making Night of the Living Dead. He was just like, <laughs> zombies. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. But I, I don't know. I've, uh, I listened to a, a video essay recently, and I really wish I could remember what it was, but I've listened to a lot, so. But I listened to one recently talking about um, objectivity in art and how no matter what your initial intention was, it it can become a reflection of something else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not impossible to find that, and it doesn't invalidate you know, whenever there's a new association made just because that's not what the author intended. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was Just Right's video on objectivity, like Immanuel Kant. 
Kant. Ooh, yeah. So check that video out either way because I know that's a good Definitely one. Definitely a great one to look into. Just Right is a great channel that does a lot of video essays like sure, that. Sure, yeah. But, um, yeah, so let's look at a specific film then. Well, wait, or, okay. Or, I want to stay on this slash oh, thing for sure, just sure. another second. Okay, we'll because keep going. you're saying how, you know, that's how they all start before they get murdered. Mm -hmm. But also really common in a lot of these slasher films is that the, the murderer um, is like some white guy mm -hmm. who had, you know, whatever traumatic experiences in their childhood. Oh, yeah. That's a fair um, point. And a lot of, and it's interesting because, like, back then it was cut, it was cut very black and white, I think, that, you know, this is the evil murderer guy. Yep. But in more recent times, you see a lot of these, like, prequels, like, I think of Halloween, where it tries to create a, it almost puts them in kind of a sympathetic light, or, like, not necessarily sympathetic, but, like, it tries to show the nuances of how, um, these characters end up at that point. And I think that's really interesting in, in our society now where, you know, domestic terrorism mm -hmm. for white men who whose stories seem to line up a lot with, like, some of these, flash, these slasher characters. I think it's interesting that we're kind of like looking into that a lot more. That's totally fair. That's a very good point. Yeah. So even, even the uh, motivations of the killers and the way the killers are portrayed can change with the society. Absolutely. Um, well, let's take a step a little bit further back and look at uh, some other examples. Um, yes. A great horror movie. Now, this counts as both horror and science fiction, but I think we'll, we'll count it. Uh, the Invasion of the Pod People. Uh, now, uh, the invasion of the pod people is quite simply, uh, if we're going to rip the uh, summary right off IMDb, as we <laughs> are wont to do. <laughs> That's one of our bits. <laughs> Get it? Or, sorry, I say invasion of the pod people. It's invasion of the body snatchers. Ah. But uh, this film initially came out in the 50s, mm -hmm. uh, and the... Uh, summary is, a small town doctor learns that the population of his community is being replaced by emotionless alien duplicates. Ooh. Ooh. Now, okay, this movie came out in 1956. Monica, do you know what war we were engaged in in 1956? Oh, don't out me as being bad at history. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It was the war in which not a single shot was fired. Cold War, duh. Boom! The Cold War. And now... The Cold War was not fought with guns and ammo, but instead fought with spies surveillance. and surveillance oh. and subterfuge. I'm around it. I'm ah, around, I got you're it. you're getting it no, now. You're getting, getting it now. So what would be scarier to a civilization whipped into a, this like anti-communist frenzy by the House Un-American Activities Committee and by um, uh, Senator McCarthy whipped into this like, you know, report on your neighbor, your neighbor's a spy, this filmmaker's a spy, everyone's a spy. What could be scarier than the perfect spy? Oh my goodness. Boom. Boom. So we have a story here which is all about an invasion brought about by uh, these perfect replicants of human yeah. beings that can masquerade as your neighbor or your cousin or even your wife. You know? Oh my goodness. And now in the end, the man does overall uh, triumph. Of course. Because Americans win the day always. Yeah. Because they've got to. You know, movies. You know, movies. <laughs> but so, I think that brings the interesting point that part of the reason that horror films serve as such an effective, um, tr uh, an effective form of expression for a society's fears is because, uh, and I can't believe I'm quoting this man, but we are going to talk about uh, Sigmund Freud for a second here. Oh boy. <laughs> so Sigmund Freud believed in this thing uh, that fear has a quality of displacement about it. That if you fear something that you cannot handle, you will instead take that fear and apply it to something else. Hmm. 
sort of a transitive property. Um, one of the more lucid of his thoughts. Yeah, one of the more lucid of his thoughts. He was probably on less cocaine than normal that day. Um, good for him. <laughs> yeah, good for him, you know. He was trying, he was trying. Uh, he's dead, it's fine. Uh, we can make fun of him. But so, but this transitive property of fear means that the average everyday American, what what are you going to do about your fear that literally anyone around you could be a Rusky spy, you know? You can't do anything about that. There is right. nothing you can do. So instead, we produce these cultural messages, these cultural modes of artistic form and expression that allow the average everyday member of this society to confront that fear through a, uh, a facsimile or a uh, substitute, really. Right. So in confronting the fear and horror it of provides, these pod people... It provides the object for you to transfer that fear into. Bingo! Exactly. Hey. Uh, and so you can look at horror films. So it's it's really interesting to take a horror film from any era and look at what it's about and really kind of see, oh, this is interesting because it reflects X things. So like um, another good example, um, and this one's actually not really a horror film. It's actually an action film, and I only know it's an action film because it stars Tom Cruise, and he doesn't <laughs> do anything else anymore. Um, but it came out in 2002 mm-hmm. uh, in the wake of, of course, 9-11 mm-hmm. and the Patriot Act. And I'm, of course, talking about the uh, film Minority Report. Mm-hmm. In a future where a special police unit is able to arrest murderers before they commit their crimes, an officer from that unit is himself accused of a future murder. And so the way they find these future murderers, in addition to just being able to predict them, is they actually scan your retinas. They have mm-hmm. robots that will climb in through your windows and doors Ooh, and scan really, your eyeballs, really and you're just supposed to sit there and let it happen. <laughs> and so that's a really early uh, example of a film that reflects Americans' tensions about the surveillance state. Right. You know? That kind of Whoa, thing. Whoa, hate that. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> hate that big time. Uh, and uh, Tom Cruise actually, like, replaces his eyes in there it's real gross um but yeah so we've got you know we've got films like that and we have films that just as they come out sort of reflect um the society that they're in and you can even do that with those films like we talked about that address much broader universal concerns like frankenstein or like uh movies that confront fears of death or fears of loss things like that Mm -hmm. even these movies are still going to reflect that fear differently based on the time that they came out i mean think how many remakes of frankenstein we've had right you know and then look at each one and see just how different what kind of changes are made yeah exactly so like you know i think i think it's really uh important for us as creators and for uh, filmmakers as creators to be able to acknowledge that that no matter what you're making your film for, Mm -hmm. the people that consume it and the people that produce it are going to inject it with their own society and their own societal biases. Right. You know? So, okay, my next question, I guess, is now in more modern times, what kind of anxieties are we looking at in horror movies now? In more recent horror movies, do All you right, think? Let's see. Like, well, like Get Out, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a racial tensions thing. Mm-hmm. There's the um, not having control of your body. You know, the hypnotizing and not having control of your body. Mm-hmm. Basically, white people controlling black people, but in a very covert, uh, a very covert way. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of anxieties. Like, can you think of any other like? Um, in more recent ones, or do you think more recently horror movies have stopped being a very good reflection of our cultural anxieties? Sure. Well, let's let's look at um, 
Yeah, let's look at let's look at more modern horror movies. I think Get Out is a phenomenal example because yeah, that is definitely there's definitely a racial element to that. Sure. There's no way you sure, can sure. deny that. Um, but let's look at let's look at some of the top horror films of the past ten years. Yeah. Um, let's see, like like I wonder if they if horror films are still doing that intentionally, well, or if they've just become, you know, can we scare? Like, can we get a jump scare out of you? That and that is a very very good question. Um, I because, guess the question would be like, are they adapting to to our cultural time, like our culture? Well, let's see. What was the? Oh, there was a really good one last year. Uh, Hereditary. Yeah. Hereditary was a really good one. Um, it is a really interesting uh, horror film about a f- uh, family with like a lot of secrets and trauma and things like that. And I think this one. So this one, I think, may deal with a broader theme, but Hereditary definitely deals with the concept of like. How how much are you your family? You know, because mm. um, that is. I actually do think that's kind of relevant. I think that's a really interesting generational. Yeah, figure. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, listeners, comment on it or whatever. But I feel like now it's a lot more normalized to kind of uh, be open about the traumas that you picked up from your childhood. Um, I, I mean, like at least I know within like my friend group or just with people I interact with. Um, we, we do discuss, you know, the things that we picked up from our families that were like, this was not okay or cool. Like, do you, do you think that might be, like, a reflection of that? Or? I, I think it could be, yeah. I think it could be a reflection of that. Um, I mean, think about how many people we know down here in Georgia who are our age and are young and liberal and mm-hmm. have all these, you know, all these liberal ideals. And then think about their parents. You know, yeah. their parents are might be uh, conservative. They might be homophobic. They might be, uh, especially in the case of a lot of uh, white Southerners, mm-hmm. um, they might be racist. Mm-hmm. So then, then that question does become, you know, how much are you your family? Hmm. And so I think Hereditary is a really hmm. good example of uh, representing that. So we would say, like, yeah, that one does. Yeah, I think that one does. Another, uh, another interesting one that I um, talked about in the paper was, uh, did you ever see It Follows? Yes, um, I yes. have seen it. Follows. It follows is a spooky one. I don't see um, very many horror movies, so when, is, I, when I have seen them, it's kind of impressive. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, follows the basic uh, plot it summary. Is there is it is a sort of a demon, a ghost, a curse that it's kills you. Clear what exactly? It's except is. it is transferable via sexual intercourse. Yeah, and if you pass it on to someone else, like it will follow that person until you pass it on to someone mm-hmm. else. And yeah, uh, sort of in the same concept as the ring with oh, the VHS tape. Yeah, and if you get killed while you are it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like, if you are killed while you are it without transferring it, then it just goes to the last person. The to last person to have it. To so there really, there's no way to get rid of it. No. Um, and so, what I think the interesting thing about that becomes is that's a very, very clear metaphor for STDs. Yeah, um, totally. Particularly things like AIDS and HIV. And yeah. I think... Um, I, while I think It Follows would have been a super apt film to come out in like the 1970s during the AIDS crisis or things yeah. like that, um, I think it's also pretty apt now because now we're living in a society um, that universally, at least the younger generations, are a lot more open about sex and sexuality. Um, we're having more conversations mm-hmm. about STDs and uh, sexual health, but at the same time, we're still living in an educational system that denies us education about these things, in a government system that really does not want people to have access to this information mm-hmm. or this help. So I think uh, It Follows is another good example of a film that does represent kind of a more universal thing because STDs are not new, 
But because of the society we're in right now, it's a pretty mm-hmm. good example. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I think horror movies today still do. Um, I think sometimes it's a lot harder. Uh, sometimes it can be harder to tell what it exactly it's about. Um, like, for instance, a really popular one from 2015 that I personally hated, but it was really, a lot of people loved it, was um, The Witch. Um, yeah. Which was the one set in 19... Or, no, not 19, 1600s New England, and is, like, mm-hmm. a family of Puritans. Um, yeah, it's like, there's a witch that eats babies, and there's a goat, and I, I'll be honest, I don't really... Is it, is it hating women? I, it's, maybe, it... Yeah. I haven't seen it. They so blame the daughter, they blame the daughter for the baby's disappearance. It's like, it's, it's a lot of different things, um... But I, you know, that's one that I'm really not sure what uh, I would say it represents fears of. Um, and then other ones are horror, are sometimes it's more of a film masquerading as a horror film. So like, for instance, uh, Cabin in the Woods, uh, Joss Whedon's Cabin in the Woods is a really interesting example. Because yes, it is a horror film, but it is intentionally a very metacinematic horror film mm-hmm. where it's less about being a horror film and more about commenting on the genre of horror films, which at the time when Cabin of the Woods came out was pretty stagnant and formulaic. Hmm. What, um, what is that about? Like, or, uh, so Cabin in the Woods is about a cabin in the woods, but it's <laughs> basically, so oh, I see. <laughs> it, the first half of the film plays out exactly like a horror movie. Okay. You have X, X number of archetypal teens yeah. are going on a camping trip in the woods. There's like the jock, the sexy teen girl who has right. um, all kinds of sex, the virgin, the stoner, the nerd, that kind of thing. Yeah. They all go to this cabin. A real breakfast club. A real breakfast club type situation. And they go to this cabin and they discover this book and they read the book and they read a page about zombie rednecks or whatever and then they get My chased around by fear. yeah and then they get chased around by zombie rednecks then about halfway through the film it cuts to these two guys at a computer console watching all of this happen yeah and then you find out that actually this what is going down is a um really complicated ritual to offer sacrifices to these old gods that will awake if a virgin or if a specific archetypal person yeah. is not sacrificed to them every X years. Yeah. And so they have this massive underground complex filled with every horror creature imaginable, like shark men and mermaids and shit like that. And so and then the movie kind of goes off the rails when the last two surviving characters, the virgin and I think the nerd, mm-hmm. um, decide to have sex and not sacrifice themselves, which ruins everything. And uh, shit goes crazy and then the world ends. Of course. <laughs> so it's it's the, it's not necessarily a horror movie so much as a commentary on horror movies. Right. Um, so you can't necessarily apply the same logic. But, like, you could, at the, you know, contrary to that, you could then also extend this logic to every film. If you've uh, been listening to mine and Monica's podcast at all, you may remember in the Captain Marvel episode, mm-hmm. I talked about the shift of um, the uh, Skrulls, this alien race. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. If, Spoiler alert if, if you haven't you seen haven't it. haven't seen Captain Marvel. But. Um, but yeah, the scrolls were originally written as sort of similar to the Body Snatchers, where yeah. they could perfectly... Secret invasion. Yeah, the secret invasion. They could replicate any human being. But then in Captain Marvel, they're actually flipped, and they're turned into good guys um, with the uh, militaristic empire that, that they were at odds with becoming the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that this logic could really be extended anywhere. But the the, the long of the short of it is... Film, even less respected mediums of film, like horror movies, which have 
consistently been considered uh, B movie material. Mm-hmm. Um, even even horror films are still art, and art yeah. is and has always been and probably will always be a form of cultural expression. Very fascinating. And as our culture changes, the medium adapts. Boom. Boom time. Okay, wait. So what is your guess for the future of how horror oh, films man. are going to be? Like, what do you think is going to be up next in terms of like what horror films are going to start showing us? Well, I'm going to talk about a film that just came out that I haven't seen yet. Okay. Um, have you seen commercials for Brightburn? I have. Yes, Brightburn is a horror movie that has just come out about a young Superman-esque boy. It's like a direct, direct Superman parallel where he crashes in a rocket ship and then this farm couple adopts him and he's got superpowers, except he doesn't become a protector for all things good. He becomes a ch- child murderer superpower yeah, being. Yeah, like a serial killer. And so the, I think the interesting thing about this film is it, it's getting made right as we come out of the end of what phase three of marvel we've had Mm -hmm. 20 something marvel films that have done super well and superheroes are a big part of our cultural zeitgeist and then all of a sudden we're putting you know a superhero into a horror movie we're flipping the script so i think as a store as cinematic storytelling evolves as a medium i think the way what the movies are going to represent and the mode that they're going to use to tell them they're still going to represent things that we're worried about or things that we're afraid of um, because that's what they have to do to get a reaction. Sure. Um, and that's also what they have to do to serve their cultural purpose. But I think they're going to be a little more... I think we're going to start getting horror movies that are no longer... I think we're going to move past a conventional space that we've been in yeah. for a long time. We're going to move past the supernatural and into, you know... I think science fiction and horror are going to get closer and closer, things yeah. like that. Um, I think we're going to get more films like Us... More films yeah. like Get Out that take non-conventional narratives. But I think at its core, it's still going to stay the same. It's going to be the same representation. I just think we're going to go through more levels of abstraction yeah. and more levels of genre. Yeah. I also find um, that the that Brightburn is interesting as kind of a... If you look at it, the way we view... you know, We don't view something that we see as all-powerful as necessarily comforting anymore. Like the narrative of Superman you know, being an all-powerful person, but, like, promising to protect us. I don't think that is as comforting for people as it used to be. You know, there's, like, a lot of, like, distrust in, like, our government or something, which you could say is a pretty all-powerful vehicle. And, you know, like, um, or even forces out of our control, like, climate change and stuff. Like, we we see these huge powers, and I think a lot of, I think uh, horror movies have started to dip into, like, this idea of helplessness. That's a fantastic point. I also think um, on Netflix recently they had the Black Mirror Bandersnatch movie, which I I don't know if it's really, it wasn't that it wasn't very scary. It wasn't scary in the traditional sense in that what you were seeing was scary necessarily, mm-hmm. but I did I did do it I did play through yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but it's scary because you know you're sitting there and you know how it works. You know you know. You have to make a decision, and your decision will either end with you dying, or you know something horrible happening, or you'll get to move forward basically. Mm-hmm. And you know you can kind of choose like how this path kind of goes. And I think um, there were definitely like whenever it came up to a time for you to make a decision, the fact there were two choices. You know, it was like you had two choices, and you know you don't really know 
Like, unless you have, like, a guide in front of you, like, you don't really know which one what is the right do. one. Um, and it was, it was, it, what was scary was knowing that it was up to you to determine what happened next, I think. Like, it was weird. Like, it was a weird, like, jolt of, like, every time, like, the, it buzzed, you're just like, oh, God. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> choices. I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, anybody who's played, I'm sure you had, I'm sure you had that oh, same yeah. thing. Because it was, like, a weird anxiety the spike. The anxiety of choice. Yeah, it was, like, a weird anxiety spike. And I think that's, I, I also find that really fascinating. Like, that, that, you know the idea of choosing or interacting with these kind of mediums is a new sort of scary thing. Great point, Monica. (laughs) No, that's awesome. Yeah, I I didn't even think about Bandersnatch. That is definitely an interesting point. Like, making making horror movies even more immersive than they are currently. Yeah, I think that could be the future. And also, like, uh, my friend last night was telling me about this uh, horror video game he was playing where... There, it wasn't like you were walking through an environment being scared by things, but you were answering questions, and the game adapted and learned what you were most scared of. And I wonder if maybe Ooh. we will come to a point where you know maybe you have like a Bandersnatch esque like you choose an option or whatever, and the game has some algorithm to determine based on your choices like what your biggest fears and anxieties are, and if maybe you could create something that reflects that or digs into those. I think I think immersion might be like the next step for like horror. Okay. Movies. Ooh, I, movie. I I don't know if I want that or not. <laughs> that's hard to tell. It sounds scary, but it might be cool. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that sounds awesome. Huh. That does sound good. So, yeah, how will horror movies adapt further? Ooh. But uh yeah, so we we're, we're hitting a pretty good uh mile marker here time-wise. So, I think I think we might have I think we might call it here. Yeah, I think you're going to I don't have much more to say, but if you want to get in touch with us and discuss your favorite horror movie and the deeper implications it has on your cultural psyche, yeah. uh, please don't hesitate to find us at shotforshotcast.com, on Instagram at shotforshotcast, on Twitter at shotforshotcast18, uh, and on Facebook at the shot for shot? Nope, no, it's at shot for shot podcast. Shot for shot podcast. This is a mess. Oh man, it is a mess. And this is why I always do the social media. This is exactly why. I tried, I did try. But Alex took it. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we really hope you enjoyed this episode. We love getting to uh, kind of make these for Mirrorbox. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you aren't already, you should definitely also follow all of Mirrorbox's content. Um, they're on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, all of it under Mirrorbox Films. Um, it's really, really great stuff. There's a lot of contributors, so you're getting a lot of fresh voices um, from other creatives, so it's a really cool community. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said, you know, we're from Shot for Shot Cast. Please feel free to listen to our podcast Please as well check us if out. you think we're interesting. Um, and with that, thank you. Uh, bye-bye. We're back. Uh, Stanya, what do you think of that episode that we just listened to in real time together in the room? (laughs) Uh, It was positively splendid. Very informative. Yeah, one thing we like to do is kind of uh, uh, at the end of these episodes, just explore kind of key takeaways of what we got out of it. And uh, we'd love to hear about what you got out of it as a listener as well. So, Sonia, what was your your big kind of key takeaway from this uh, episode today? My key takeaway was definitely being able to hear about how horror films have changed over time and how its impact on our society has also changed and 
how it's been adapting, you know, to what our fears are in life and then how though it's still lasting throughout the years and how, you know, you can go and watch a horror film from the 40s and 50s and and you would have a completely different take on it compared to if you were born in that era and watching it in when it was released compared to now and then comparing it all to what the horror films are like today and how things have changed over the years and how our fears have changed over the years and what's impacted that. Yeah, it's a real cool perspective that I don't think we talk about often enough because we get so caught up just in the kind of hype around horror films, right? Like horror films are like fun and you're their escapism and you go and you have a great time. Um, and lots of times it's not until later and looking back and you're going, Oh, that was really reflective of the time period. Right. Um, that there is a response to real life fears in, in these films. Um, and I think it's something that's important for both filmmakers and for uh, audience members to, to be mindful of. For filmmakers, I think, um, I mean, look, if, if you're putting all the work that it takes to make a movie and you're just doing something that's just kind of empty and vapid and, and out there just to have fun, I mean, that's great. Um, but as we've seen through this episode is movies have power. Like it's not just about reflecting of the times, but it's also about making a difference. And it's about, um, you know, a lot of times having those reflections on screen and influencing the world as a result of films. Like films have power. Uh, and I think uh, filmmakers need to be really aware of that and really ask uh, when they're working on a project, what is this film saying about the world? What am I adding to the conversation? Um, and for audience members, I think, um, you know, it's it's the whole reason Mirabox exists, really, that our blog and our podcast is that we want to build these kind of conversations around genre films specifically um, and I think the reason horror movies work so well at exploring societal fears uh, is the whole allegory nature of it, right? So if you are making a biopic or a straight drama, um, the fear has a name. It's, it's very black and white, and it is what it is. But when you're exploring it through sci-fi, through horror, through fantasy, um, the fears become an allegory, and the fears become this gray area that you can explore uh, and really talk about in unique ways. And um, so for audience members, I just want more of those conversations to happen. I want people to leave the theaters um, talking about them. I want to carry on those conversations online. So much of movies is just about, was it good? Did you like it? Did you have a good time? Um, and I would love to for people, even movies, whether you like them or not, to have these deep conversations around them. Um, Yeah, and I loved how Monica even brought up how now with all of the prequels to horror films coming out, talking about like how we're kind of giving a more humanity kind of side to the murderers and the evil characters and how we're humanizing them. And because that's reflective of how our society and the younger generations are being raised and thinking about things. And I think that was a really cool way of analyzing that because for me I going to those kinds of prequels I always was just kind of like oh it's just another money maker prequel yeah, like yeah, yeah. really it's reframing it in a completely new way for today's audience yeah. yeah always we love what Alex and Monica are doing to add to these conversations around genre film and um, if you want to um, have more of these kind of deep dives check us out at mirrorboxfilms.com You'll see a lot of examples of these kinds of conversations around genre film on our blog. And you can find us at Mirrorbox Films on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Until the next time, 
Peace out, Cub Scouts. Yeah.